I was reminded of what, that my dad, he had communion, and he was doing it, and he was thinking, well, why do we have to take communion? And, and um, when he took it, he had this revelation of how God just gave everything for him, just gave everything. And, and he was like, man, he was just overwhelmed by it. And he said, God, whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it or die trying. And then God said, yeah, and whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it too. And I just, I, it hit me so strong when he said that in his sermon. I was like overwhelmed by it. But I think that's so real that when we give everything to God, he gives everything back to us. And I just think that, I just feel like, just surrender to him and he's going to give it all back to you. Yeah, thank you, God. He's going to take care of it all. Yeah, he's going to take care of it all. He's going to take care of it all. Thank you, God, for that. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Can we just focus on him? Just thank you, God. Just see him taking care of all your needs, taking care of your future, taking care of your life. All right. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You feel the presence of God here today. Wow. I believe he's here to do something in each one of our hearts. I think everybody has something that they have need of. And I believe God is here to meet those needs. Sometimes we get really distracted by the busyness of life. But today is a day we're coming, coming away from those things and allowing God to work in our hearts. And so I just want to encourage you to open up your hearts today and let him do what he wants to do in your heart and in your life. And so if you want to go ahead and greet your neighbors. Well, at this time, I want to receive uh, an offering for David Wagner, we're so blessed to have him come to Destiny Church, to our region, and, and he's such a blessing. I don't know if you, is there anybody here that's never heard him before? Never been in? Oh, there's several people. Well, you're in for a blessing. You're in for a, a real encouraging word. Just open up your heart and receive what, he ha what, what God has for you today. Um, just thinking about the offering, I want to, we want to receive the offering before the end because we don't want to interrupt what God's doing at the end of the service. But I can tell you this. This is awesome soil to sow into. Awesome soil. He travels throughout the whole world and ministering to people. And his prophetic words, man, I tell you what, they hit the heart. And uh, I was so blessed last night by the prophetic word that he had for me and then my son and my daughter-in-law and my grandson and my granddaughter. And, you know, God is just doing, doing amazing things. He's doing amazing things in my family. He's doing amazing things in this church. And he's got a great destiny for each one of us. And so, um, so anyway, 
uh, with that, I just want to read a scripture. Let giving, let giving flow from your heart. Flow from your heart. It's, it's about the heart, right? We lay our lives down. We go to work we, we, uh, to get the money. But that's our life, right? That's our life. And so really, that money belongs to him. And then he, you know, we need to seek him. You know, God, what do you want me to do with this? But I can tell you today is a good place to sow. And another thing is, everything that you sow into this offering today goes directly to Dave. We don't keep anything back for for expenses or anything, we just want to bless him because he's been such an amazing blessing to us. And so um, let it spring up, let's see here, not from a sense of religious duty, let it spring up freely from the joy of giving. It's a joy to give. Amen? It's a joy to give. Uh, all because God loves hilarious generosity. Yes, God is more than ready to overwhelm you with every form of grace so that you will have more than enough of everything, every moment, and in every way. He will make you overflow with abundance in every good thing you do. Amen. Amen. So he, he loves a joyful giver, a hilarious giver. And so it should be when, we, when it's time to give an offering, it, we should be happy about that. It's an opportunity to give into the kingdom. Amen. And so, um, so if I could get the ushers to help me, I have a couple ushers here that are going to be helping me with the pass the baskets. Um, if you need an envelope, raise your hand. They'll give you one of those, give you an envelope for your giving. So let's take our offering and let's pray over that offering. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God, that we cannot, we cannot outgive you. You're a, you, as we give generously, you give generously back to us. And Father God, I thank you for giving seed to the sower. And I thank you, Father God, for every seed that's being sown in this place today. I thank you for a, a, a return, a harvest on that seed, Father God. And I thank you, Father God, for blessing D David Wagner. Thank you, Father God, for bringing him here and for the blessing that he is to the body of Christ. We are so grateful, Father. We are so, so grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And so, ushers, if you want to go and pass the buckets, would be thank you. And so, I'm going to go ahead and introduce David Wagner. Like I said, he's a worldwide traveler, ministers prophetically all over the earth and uh, has just been, like I said, such a major blessing here at our church and to my family and to myself. And so let's, uh, let's welcome David Wagner. Thank you. Well, good morning, ladies. And uh, it's a little intimidating being in, in a room being like the only guy, and uh, and so I'm I'm entering this morning with fear and trembling, and um, because my mom raised me right, uh, and um, and so uh, I I believe moments like this are really special. They're orchestrated uh, and and choreographed by the Lord. Uh, th there's a little secret that I don't share publicly too often, but I think think this is a safe place to do it. Uh, if I have the opportunity, I never like to miss a ladies' meeting. <laughs> a, the food is always better, <laughs> right? But uh, in, in addition to that, th there is a level of intimacy and hunger that God responds to uh, when women come together to worship the Lord. 
when women come together to, to lay their hearts on the altar. And, and I've watched it in my 25 years of walking with the Lord, but, but I also watched it my whole life with uh, the way my mother lived. And so uh, I, I have an unusual upbringing. So my, my dad died when I was six, so I was raised by uh, an amazing mother, uh, influenced by an amazing grandmother. I have four sisters uh, and one brother, so we were outnumbered. So we learned yes, ma'am, uh, real quick, uh, and um, and it, it, but I wouldn't I wouldn't change any of that um, because there was something uh, I'm watching the faith of my mother. Like I remember my mom saying, uh, "Grace, giving thanks for food that wasn't necessarily there yet." Uh, I, I watched my mom believe God to show up on her behalf and our behalf, and so. Uh, it, it created this testimony of a life of miracles that maybe at the time didn't even get recognized. But when you look back in retrospect, you've seen all the things that God did. As we were worshiping this morning, uh, I felt like this, that the Lord doesn't just want uh, to touch. He wants to lavish. In other words, he doesn't just come to go, thanks for being here, and I'm going to let you feel a goose bump and those things. But he, but he actually lavishes his love on us. I shared a little bit last night from Second Kings chapter 4 where the widow goes, uh, basically the debtors are coming to take her sons as slaves and to foreclose on her house. And she goes to Elisha and she pleads with him. And, and, and there's this miracle where the oil flows behind the closed doors into the vessels until the vessels are all filled. And uh, my point last night was that the oil always flows behind closed doors. But, but I believe the, this morning the point is this, that he's not the God who measures, he's the God who pours. Often, I, I think we do this in the church. We, we pray, we worship, we come together, we, we purpose in our heart that if we can, if we can actually do things the right way, that then God moves and somehow I open his hand. I persuade him to open his hand to me. And I, I miss something in that mindset or that wrong theology because what I have to understand is he is the God of the open-handed blessing. So in other words, my prayer isn't trying to make God or get God to do something that he wasn't willing to do. It's not to hurry him up. It's not to excite, but it actually... If you, if you will understand the purpose and the power of prayer and intercession, it's actually praying what Jesus is praying at the right hand of the Father. So it's not just petitions and I need you to touch my husband and change my son and to, to, to minister to my daughter and to meet my needs, but it's actually saying, Lord, I know who you are and I'm going to pray from that perspective of who you are that releases all that you are and all you have. See, I believe this, that everything you need him to be, he already is. He, he doesn't have to change. He doesn't have to become anything else other than what he is. I love the fact that the nature of God are found in the names of God. Somebody asked me uh, not too long ago what blasphemy was. And some people would say blasphemy is using the name of the Lord in vain and as a cuss word and that's wrong. I don't think you should do that. But, but I believe that true blasphemy is using the name of God without the nature of God. 
So it's, it's using his, it's the religious undertone. It's the, the religious nature that actually denies the fullness of who God really is. Does that make sense to you? And so when you understand that his name declares his nature, so if he is Jehovah Jireh, he's the Lord who sees, the Lord who sees up ahead and he provides, right? In his very nature, he's provider. And if that's who he is, then why would I have to make him provide for me? It's actually receiving what he's already promised. I had this vision not too long ago of, of walls coming down, walls just crumbling, and I asked the Lord what it was. He said that I'm tearing down the walls to receiving. I think we live in a, a day and a, and a time in the earth that when we're always questioning motives. Maybe that's the man in me. I think it's in human nature in a sense. Like if somebody wants to do something for me, I'm kind of wondering what their angle is. Like what do you want from me? Can anybody relate to that? And, and I think it's based really on distrust, which actually clouds a beautiful word in Scripture called covenant. And when you look at the Lord, the way that he looks at me and looks at you, it's through covenant eyes. In other words, he's not saying that my promises to you are contractual. If you do, then I'll do this in return. I understand that there's divine exchange. I give him my sin. He gives me his forgiveness. I give him my struggles. He gives me his freedom. I understand the, the, the thinking, the purpose, and the truth of that divine exchange. But the fact of the matter is that, that there's nothing I can do to make him love me any more, nor is there anything I can do to make him love me any less. The truth is he's love, and he can't help himself but to love me. He can't help himself but to love you and to lavish that love upon you. I... I believe that we're in a season where the Lord is actually unveiling and revealing that, that he's actually in a place of making himself irresistible to us. I believe that this is a time where the Lord is, like this morning, really wanting to release honor upon you. I love, you know, I said I love women's meetings, I love ladies' meetings, because I, I can't remember a time where I was in a ladies' event where God didn't show up in some incredible way that I never experienced before. I think a part of that is, is if you even look in the life of Jesus, when men bailed and failed, women stayed. When, when men became afraid for their life and afraid for their reputation and afraid for those things, you, you had Mary and Martha, Mary and Mary at the feet of Jesus. Understand John stayed too. But the majority of his friends bailed. Why? Because there is a level of loyalty. There's a level of understanding. Uh, I, I think a, a, a level in the heart of a woman that is different than in the heart of a man. My, my wife and I were doing counseling. I thought we were going to fix her. Um, but um, it, it, was, it was more like maintenance and, you know, and, 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 and alignment because sometimes you just need to prevent things. And so they said something that really struck me. I didn't like it at first, but I found it to be true. It really helps me. And here's the secret. Don't go home and tell your husbands this, by the way. It probably wouldn't go very well. Um, but but here's, what, here's what they said. They, they said a man only uses half his brain, but a woman uses her whole brain. 
in, in the way that men are wired, most of us only use part of our brain. It's to, sometimes it's to create and construct and to build and to provide and, and to protect and those things. But there is this amazing part of wisdom and knowledge and revelation that y'all have, but, but it's also this beautiful emotional piece that God connects, so it becomes holistic. I, I think that's part of the mystery. I think it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. So don't go home now and go, I know your problem. You only use half your brain. All right? And if you do tell them that, I didn't say it. I'm going to give you the name of the counselor and they can get mad at them. Okay? And, 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 and I think it's just this amazing, beautiful thing. I, I will tell you this, that I don't believe in the spirit there's a gender. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, all the goofy stuff that's happening here. What I'm saying to you is that in the spirit, there's not a certain blessing for men and a certain blessing for women. That there's not a certain thing that men can do and a certain thing that women can do. I believe the Lord sees us for who we really are as sons and daughters. And what God wants to do for me and in me, he wants to do in you and for you. If you were to ask me what the biggest crisis or issue is in America today, I will tell you that it's not political, it's not health-related, it's not economic, it's not... Uh, diplomatic, it's not with all of the wars, and it's not with climate, but I believe the main thing that the enemy has targeted in this, in this season in the earth, and it's probably been this way from the beginning, uh, is this one word, identity. One of the greatest crimes right now is identity theft. Somebody gets your social security number, your date of birth, uh, they take out credit in your name, they ruin your name, they, they ruin that. And I, I think it's a, actually a, a natural symptom to what's happening in the spirit. And what identity theft is that somebody steals you from you. That, that somebody steals you from you. And so in order to make somebody happy, I actually become who they desire me to be, and I'm never true to myself. I, I want to please you. I want you to like me. I want you to love me. I want... Uh, you know, everything to work. So I will actually deny myself who I really am to fit in a mold that wasn't created for me to fit. See, I believe there, there is likeness that we are created in the likeness, the image of God. I believe there are similarities between all of us, but the truth is God made you uniquely you. When he made you, he didn't go, hey, every 10th person, I'm going to make just like this. But when he made you, he actually broke the mold. He actually said, hey, there's only one of you. There's only, that's how unique, how special, and how creative God is. It also tells me how grand He is. Because everyone in the, in, created in the image of God is reflecting a part of Jesus, is, is reflecting a part of God that, that can't be seen in somebody else. Just ponder that for a moment that you actually give people an opportunity to see what God looks like in a way that nobody else around you can. You're reflecting a part of his identity, his personality, his creativity, his appearance. And again, although there's similarities in some of, uh, in some of us, the, the fact is that God made you unique. And I just believe that this is going to be a season of celebration. I, I want you to know that I believe the Lord is bringing the church out of the place of, 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 of toleration into celebration. 
I think one of the issues in the earth today is tolerance. We, we tolerate things, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, we have a huge mess on our hand because we just tolerate. But also, in the same way, we, we actually tolerate and act, instead of celebrate people. I think what happens is that we get in this place of, of competition where I view you as my competition instead of my completion. So if, if you can do something better than me, I'll feel like it's, it's competitive and actually instead of connecting to it and go, that's, that's a part uh, that, that I need that connects to what I'm carrying and then this wholeness comes. And, and, and what I'm saying to you this morning is that the Lord is actually bringing healing into the identity of the body of Christ. Right? When, when you can't have a Supreme Court justice be able to describe or define what a woman is, We've gone way too far because it's not just a legal term. It's not just a biological term. It, it actually has to do with identity. And what happens in that political realm, if you don't invade that political thing with, with the prophetic voice, you, you will have one actually overruling the other. And, and this is going to be a season and a time where, where the Lord is, is actually giving women their voice. Like, I think with the Me Too movement of, of the last couple of years, uh, obviously there were horrific abuses and things that happened to, to people that should have never happened. But in it, uh, more than just the, the, the justice side of it and the legal side of it, really what I felt the Lord was saying in it and through it was that the Lord is giving women their voice. Because suddenly they started talking about what they could never talk about. Most of us, especially Midwesterners, I think it happens all over, but being one myself, um, I think we grew up in society where what happens here stays here. And there's certain things that happen in that, that you just don't talk about. And just because you don't talk about it doesn't mean that it didn't happen. You just stuff it. And eventually that thing becomes like a powder keg and it explodes. So what we have is generations that have never been healed from past abuses. We have generations that haven't been healed from, from, from horrific things, and, it, and that gets passed on from generation to generation. But when you realize that you have the ability to break that off, and out of that you get to initiate people from curses to promises, it's huge. My, my mom grew up in a struggle, she was born in you know, the Great Depression and, 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 and World War II, and, 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 and my grandfather worked hard, but they were always at the poverty level. She married my dad. He, my dad was one of 15 kids. There were, there were 13 boys and two girls and lived in a two-bedroom apartment in Chicago, and, and if you can imagine that. And, and, and so there was always this poverty thing that, that took place, and, and always hard to get away, and, and, and just, you're in survival mode. But, but at the end of my life, I'll I tell you this, that even when my mom was a single mother before she re remarried when I was a teenager, I remember that my mom on Saturday nights would write out a check. She was writing out a tithe check, and I didn't fully understand it, but she wasn't waiting till the offering was being taken. She actually knew what she wanted to sow, what she wanted to give the Lord. And I watched that, Carrie, when she married my stepdad. It was just something that I watched. 
and, 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 and you watched it work, actually. I didn't know the, the principle behind it. I, I just knew that what they were doing was actually changing something. So here's the beauty of, of, of my mom's life. She went home to be with the Lord November 14th of, of last year. And when my mom went to be with Jesus, she had no debt and no regret. As she was passing in those two weeks, she would, she would draw me close and share things with me. And I'll never forget one night, uh, just a few nights before she passed. It's about 3.30 in the morning. And, um, you know, her days and nights were just kind of mixed up. And sometimes she just would need to be adjusted or, or, or turned or changed or something. And, and so I was sleeping in a recliner next to the, the hospice bed we had set up in her living room. And um, she would say, hey, are you awake? And I really, I was, but I wasn't. You know, you're, you're wanting to sleep. And. And, and she would say, come here, i got to tell you something. And all of a sudden she would go, oh, can you imagine? I'm about to see him face to face. At any moment now, I'm about to see him face to face. And I, I thought to myself, Man, this is pretty amazing. I'm watching a miracle manifesting. I'm watching somebody who's coming to the end of her life not worried about what transition looks like, what her final breath's going to look like, but she's saying, I want to see him face to face. She went back to sleep. She wakes up and she goes, Dave, come here. I got to tell you something. It might be the most important thing I ever tell you. Forgive and forget, forgive and forget, forgive and forget, forgive and forget. People say you can forgive, but you can never forget. But I learned how to do both. And now she's messing with me. Right, Because human beings can't forget. But what she was saying is, I have the memories, but I don't have the pain of the memories that went along with the things I endured. I said, Mom, how, how did you do that? She said, simple. I purposed in my heart that I would love people more than they could ever hurt me. She said, I, I'm, I am aware of, of the fact that your, your father cheated on me. I'm, I'm I'm aware of the abuse that I endured. But my, my mother led my father to the Lord six weeks before he passed. And she absolutely had no regret in it. And I watched her come to the, to the end of her life with no debt and no regret. You know, Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy. And I watched my, my mom wasn't perfect. She wasn't, she was pretty close, but, but, she, but she wasn't perfect. But, but there was this purity of heart upon her, this awareness. I think that's what righteousness is, right? It's this awareness of the presence of God. And everything we do gets put through that lens of, of is this pleasing in the sight of the Lord? That, that's what righteousness is. It's, it's not legalistic. It's not religious. Although in my ignorant years, I would think that some of it was. But, but it was just through this lens of what is right in the sight of God. What is holy? What, what, what is this thing? And, and I watched her live that way. I watched her live in this, this place of peace where even in the midst of, of, of the pain and the suffering and the chaos, she, she walked through this whole thing and the peace of God never left the house. 
she went home to be with the Lord at 8 in the morning on a Sunday, and that midnight on Saturday night, one of my last memories of her being awake was we were laughing hysterically together. It, it was the joy of the Lord. It was the peace of God. And it was the righteousness of the kingdom that wasn't determined or, or wasn't restrained or, or wasn't diluted based on circumstance, situation, or what was being walked through. There's a reason I'm sharing this with you. It's because I believe that there is an amazing gift in this room called you. One of, one of my favorite scriptures is Hebrews 10, 23. It says, let us hold fast our confession again to hope for he who made the promise is faithful. And there is something about the tenacity of a woman's faith. There's something about the tenacity of a hope inside of, of a woman that, that, that trumps that of a man. Everybody credits you with being more emotional, but the fact of the matter is, I think men make more emotional decisions. Can, can I just tell you, it's just honest. We, we can be grumpy, I don't feel like, rah, 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 right? But there, there, is, there, is a, there is a compass on the inside of, of born-again, spirit-filled women that chooses to do right even when it's not convenient. That, that's a big statement. Again, don't go home and say, Dave Wagner said. Right? I'm sharing this with you because I believe that, that, that in this moment, there's a new tenacity to actually skip, to, to, to actually... Uh, tip the scales of things in the earth. You know, I, I grew up in a denomination where um, women weren't allowed to be deacons or elders or preachers. And, and so I wasn't even a believer, but I had this, this thing that, that women shouldn't be elders, deacons, or preachers. And if you were to ask me why I thought that, it's because somebody told me. That's what happens with bad theology. We believe things just because somebody told us, but we never study it out. But if you watch out the, the, some of the most effective leaders and ministers in Scripture were, were women. You, you look at Esther. She did a job that a man couldn't do. When, when, when prophets were bailing and hiding for their life, God raises up a prophetess by the name of Deborah to actually speak in ways that, that, that she, she would preach messages and, and speak prophetic words that men were afraid to preach or, or, or to prophesy. You, you look at where, um, and you look at that pattern, and it's amazing. And if I look at my own life and my own ministry, it's, it's been women in ministry that, that actually took me under their wing and began to promote my ministry. It's women that, that, that actually pray and, and actually uh, speak into my life in a way that, 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 that men uh, don't in this capacity. If you're like a spiritual mom or, or a sister, there's something that you're wired to tell the truth. I have a sister, Darlene. She's my youngest sister, but she's still seven years older than me. And I like to let her know that I know that. But she didn't put up with my stuff. So I'll say something, 
and she, she'll just call me out on it. Why? Because she loves me enough to tell me the truth. My, my mom, when she was alive, I could talk to her, I'd call her, and in, in the inflection of my voice, she would, knew, she would know if something was okay or not okay with me. She, she had this discernment. We, sometimes we call it intuition, but, but I actually think it's discernment. And, and I believe right now, I said it last night, that one, one of the missing, uh, one of the greatest gifts that is missing that it, and is much needed in the body of Christ is discernment. It's this uh, ability to discern times and seasons, to understand, to discern moments in the earth. But, and, and I believe the Lord is releasing that to you, but I also believe the Lord is, is releasing this prophetic edge to ladies in this season. I, I was with a, a guy not too long ago named Lauren Cunningham. Lauren's in his 80s. He is the founder of Youth with a Mission, YWAM, um, or, or Youth Without Money, sometimes they call that, without any money. Um, but it's, <clears throat> I was with him and uh, he makes this bold statement. Now we're in the Netherlands in this Calvinistic nation. In conference, he said, if you don't believe in women in ministry, just send them to me. I know exactly what to do with them. Th they make the best missionaries. And so I, I do a lot of missions. I do a lot of stuff in Africa. And here's the thing. My, my daughter is as girly as, as they get, okay? Nails and clothes and, you know, makeup and hair. But when I bring her to Africa, when I bring her to Mozambique with me, she doesn't mind eating fish heads. She, she doesn't scream about now at home. Like the other day she came home at midnight and there was a spider by her door. She went back to her car. She called me at midnight <laughs> and made me drive 15 minutes to deal with a spider. But you put her in Africa and the spider don't bother her. Now y'all live in Minnesota, it's too cold up here to even get a spider. You might not even know what it looks like. But, but, but the, the fact of the matter is, right, but when, when she's in the environment of her calling, environment and circumstance and situation and pestilence and bugs and spiders don't actually affect her. It's this ability to look past, to see the, the greater calling of God. I, I don't have the verbiage on it. I'm just telling you that what I've seen in the body of Christ, it is why it is a sad state to, to look through the body of Christ around the world. And I will tell you that most churches are, are filled with more women than men. And in some ways that excites me because there, there's women that are holding the line that are actually believing God and pressing through. But it also breaks my heart because there's this vacuum, this absence of men. But, but here, here's the promise of the Lord. That there's about to be a season of return where you're about to watch that which you've prayed for, that which you've been believing for, for husbands and fathers and uncles and brothers and sons to, to come back into the kingdom. And I, I believe the Lord's actually about to flip that thing and, and turn that thing around. But, but I also believe this, that we're stepping into a season where the Lord's releasing one of the greatest tenacities of faith upon y'all. That, that's Southern for you all, okay? That, that there is this, this tenacity that God is releasing. Um, I, I love this 
story we were singing about my alabaster heart and I, I lost it. I'm sitting there on the on the front row and 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 there's allergies in April in Minnesota that just hit me and and the and the, and the, the waterworks come and, and 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 I'm just thinking about that and, and I think about this with the woman with the alabaster box. She recognizes this moment in the life of Jesus and she takes a year's wages and buys this this oil, buys this perfume. And she doesn't just like put a little bit on him. She doesn't just like just pour a little drop on him. She doesn't just open the bottle and say, look what I'm giving you. But she actually takes it and she breaks it over him. And it gets on him and it gets on her. And in the story in 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 in, in, in um, in Mark 12 and in John 14, uh, the men, especially Judas, get, gets really offended by the offering. He says this could have been sold to the, you know, sold and and and, and used to feed the poor. I don't know about you. I, I like to give offerings that offend other people. I want to give offerings like that that people go, wow, I can't believe he did, he did that. Or she did that. And, and, and they didn't know the value of what we would call wasted perfume. But the beauty is this. Jesus said, look, you guys have been with me all this time. You don't even recognize the moment that I'm getting ready to step into. And this woman's done a beautiful thing. And, and she's prepared my body for burial. Now they're really not liking what happened. But he says, and this will be a testimony of her wherever the gospel's preached. We're still talking about her today. It, it gets a big little spot in, in, in Scripture that sometimes we save to talk about till Holy Week. But I think what happened with her for the rest of her life, when she walked down the street, when she went to the market, when she went to the temple, when she was going through her daily life, people went, surely she's been with him. Because the same thing she poured out got on her. And there's something about that willingness to actually flow from that place of brokenness. Y'all have a higher pain tolerance than us. You know that, right? Like I had knee surgery on a scale of one to childbirth. I was far past childbirth. <laughs> I know I'm in dangerous territory. Right? Like, like you know, my wife... I'm in pain, she goes, on a scale of one to Dave, like, where, 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 where are you at? And, and it's, it's exaggerated, like, you, you know, man flu and all those things. It's, and, and, and the fact of the matter is, we get a little pain, we want to call in sick, we want to, you know, sit around and, and with the remote in our hands. But y'all have this way of just pressing through. Because you know how to bring things through brokenness that I only want to bring through wholeness. There's a part of me that wants to bring things when I'm at my best and my, my, my church face is on and my best foot forward. But I've watched women my whole life 
fight through hell and high water to get to the house of God and worship their way to a breakthrough, to a healing, to restoration in their marriage. I've watched, I've watched it over and over and over again. There was this amazing woman in our church. Her name was, was Sandy. And uh, we just thought she was the mean church lady. Now, y'all don't have those up in, Wisconsin, uh, up in Minnesota and in, in, in the Midwest. But in the South, we get some mean church ladies. And, and th- this lady came in. And uh, for eight years, she sat on the third row uh, on, on the, off the center aisle in the second seat. And if anybody ever tried to sit in the first seat on the third row off the center aisle, she would say, you can't sit there. That's my husband's seat. And the only problem was her husband never came to church. She got radically saved. She was in in somewhat of an abusive marriage. Her husband was an alcoholic. And I don't know that he physically abused her, but he was verbally abusive and and drunk and, and blew money all the time. And And when she got saved, the Lord said, I want you to save your husband a seat. It's going to take a little while, but there's going to come a time where he's going to come and sit in the seat next to you. And when he comes, then he said, I'm going to fill the whole role with the rest of your family. And so people would actually mess with her. They would actually come and they would sit there and she would kick them out of the seat. And we'd say, you know, Sandy, you need to be nice. You need to be nicer than that. She said, you can't sit there. That's my husband's seat. One Sunday morning, third song of worship, a hungover man came and sat in the seat. Now, you could go, she was ornery. I just think she was tenacious. She didn't know when it was going to be. She didn't know if it was going to be eight days. She didn't know if it was going to be eight months. She didn't know. But, but after eight years of contending, what if she would have given up the week before? What if she would have given up a year before? There's something about that tenacity. If I don't see it at an altar, okay, as a guy who's praying for the sick, if I don't see it in three minutes, I start getting all kinds of self-conscious. Am I not anointed? Is it not going to happen if nothing happens? What are people going to think of me and should I stay here? Oh, there's another hundred people here, so I'll just keep moving on and hoping that happens. But women have this tenacity that doesn't mind being late for the next appointment as long as God's doing something. When my, my daughter was eight, my, I think Ben was, was six, we were in uh, Arkansas, in, in Fort Smith, Arkansas. We did these series of meetings, and the Sunday night was our, uh, there was a meeting in the Spanish church. And I preached, and we were ministering and praying for the sick, and there was a, a little girl in a, in a wheelchair, and she had spinal bifida. And uh, I remember praying for her, and my daughter came and, and stood behind her while I was praying for her and kept her hand on her shoulders and just praying, eight years old. And I prayed for a few minutes, and nothing happened, and I you know, prayed for another bunch of people. It's now 10.30 at night, and the whole time I'm praying for everybody else, my daughter stays with the girl in the wheelchair. As a, as a dad, my heart goes like this. Lord, don't let my daughter be disappointed. So the meeting ends. We're getting in the car, and I go, honey, are you disappointed? She goes, why would I be disappointed? Jesus said he's going to heal her in her sleep. 
sure enough, as we're driving from Fort Smith to Springdale the next morning, we get a phone call that the girl woke up completely healed. Right? I had given up on the miracle because I didn't see it. But this little eight-year-old girl had this tenacity of going, hey, just because I haven't seen it yet doesn't mean that, that, that what I believe and what God's doing isn't effective. And, and I'm just telling you that, that I, I don't believe necessarily that is, it's based on gender, but there is something with the stick to I want to get in trouble. The stubbornness. I mean, here, here's how my wife argues. She just goes, you can believe whatever you want to. I know the truth. <laughs> I've never won an argument in 23 years of marriage. She threw that out at me on the way to the honeymoon. We weren't even married two hours yet. Having intense fellowship. She goes, you believe whatever you want to. I know the truth. 23 years. never, never. Now, don't use that. And if you do, I didn't tell that to you. Right? I got to deal with your husbands and your dads tomorrow, so uh, or tonight. So, but, but what I'm saying is that there is this place th- that is is profound to me in the history of, of what I've watched in church history, but also my walk with the Lord. That the Lord has done something amazing with ladies, with women. Is this making sense to you? I'm not just schmoozing you this morning either. I'm smarter than that. I believe that the Lord's about to bring you into a season of significant breakthrough. There's significant breakthrough coming through the things you pray, through the things you you prophesy, and and through the faith that the Lord's placed on the inside of you. I felt like the Lord said to me last night, I was just asking the Lord what I was going to share, and all of this came out, which was nothing that I had prepared to share. But, but he said, I'm releasing the anointing that was on the Shunammite woman. In 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8, it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's actually one of my life messages. And there's this woman, and she's from Shunem. It says, there are now a certain woman from Shunem that was known as the Shunammite woman um, recognized that Elisha was a holy man of God. She had a discernment. She recognized a moment in God. She recognized an anointing that she felt like she was supposed to connect to. And so whenever Elisha would come through there, she would uh, say to her husband, let's make him something to eat. Let's host him. Because she knew the way to the prophet's heart was through his stomach. That's New International Day version. Okay? And, and so... Whenever he comes through there, she actually prepares food for him. And then they're watching this track record, a proven, accurate, uh, integrous, prophetic ministry. And then she says, hey, we've been watching him for a while now. Let's build a room onto the house for him. So whenever he comes through here, he can stay. So they built a room. They put a bed there, a table, a chair, a candlestick, and, and he would turn in there. And one day, as he's in there with his servant, he, he, he realizes something. Now, Jesus hadn't spoken this yet, um, because it's a few hundred years before Jesus. But if you give to a prophet the name of a prophet, you'll receive a prophet's reward. 
Just because it wasn't spoken yet doesn't mean it wasn't in an eternal promise or, or, or revelation. Are you hearing me? So Elisha is sitting there and said, she's gone through all this care for me. Call her. And so he basically gives her a carte blanche, just a blank check in a sense. She comes, she stands in the door. said, look, you've gone through all this trouble for us. What can I do for you? Do you want me to talk to the king on your behalf? Do you want me to talk to the commander of the army on your behalf? She goes, no, I, I dwell among my own people. I have everything I want. I have, you know, I'm, I'm well off. I'm happy. I'm content. I have a nice house. I'm providing for you. Uh, and, 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 and he's perplexed. She, she walks away. And Elisha is saying that there's something she needs, something she wants. But she wouldn't tell me and God hadn't revealed it yet. And his servant Gehazi goes, well, actually, she doesn't have a son yet and her husband's old. So he goes and he has her called and she comes and she stands in the doorway. And, uh, you know, sometimes prophets are just a little brash. They don't like, you know, necessarily measure their words for, you know. So he just kind of blurts it out. He mansplains it. And he goes, about this time next year, you're going to have a son. Now, if it's really the desire of her heart that she's believed for a long time and now her husband's old and it's in an impossible situation and state, if that's the word she wanted to hear her whole life, you would think she'd be going, hallelujah, glory to God, I'm going to have a son. But she doesn't. She actually responds quite opposite. She goes, don't lie to me. Don't you dare lie to me. Don't you tickle my ears. Don't just tell me what you think I want to hear. If it's not from the Lord, listen to me. You better not mess with me. I think that's when the fear of, 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 of the Lord fell. She, she was saying, look, I don't just want some nicety from you. And the Bible says, and she conceived just as the prophet had told her. So she has this amazing son. The son grows up. He's eight years old. He's working out with his dad in the fields. Heat stroke hits him, and they bring him back to her around 9 in the morning. She lays, he lays on her lap till noon, and then he dies. She doesn't call the undertaker. She doesn't call the preacher. She doesn't call the, the prayer chain. She actually takes the baby, this little boy, and lays it on Elisha's bed that she prepared. It's significant. She goes out, and she shuts the door. She tells her husband, I need a servant and I need a horse or a donkey. And he said, hey, it's not the full moon. It's not the Sabbath. It's not a feast. And, and, and she, why do you need to go to see him today? And she just says, it is well. And sometimes you could read that and go, man, she was living this life of wishful thinking and, you know, it is well. She didn't want to necessarily deal with the, but, but the fact of the matter is she was actually saying, this is not how the story ends. That this is not acceptable. This is not going to be how the story ends. This is unacceptable in what I know of the Lord. I think she shuts the door because she doesn't want anybody in their Christianese niceties to go, oh, I'm so sorry. She doesn't want anybody to say, it's over, he's dead, it's gone, it's done. She actually shuts the door in faith saying, 
something's about to happen. She tells the, the driver, the servant, you keep going, don't greet anybody if they greet you. And all she could say is, it is well, it is well, it is well. Elisha sees her coming and he sends Gehazi and Gehazi, she said, Gehazi, you didn't make the promise, you didn't give me the prophetic word. I don't really need to talk to you right now. I'm going to Elisha. She, she, he tries to block her. She pushes away, grabs Elisha by the ankles. I've heard it preached that she came and she was just honoring, kind of bowed down to Elisha. I, I don't think so. I think she was tackling him. She goes, did I ask for a son of my Lord? Did I ask you to give me this word? Didn't I tell you don't deceive me, don't lie to me? And he sends Gehazi and goes, take my staff and put it on the child. And said, you could do that if you want to, but um, you're coming with me. In those days, right, the, the, the miracles followed the prophet. So she, she was going actually to the source or the one that could do something. And she wasn't going to settle for a counterfeit or a lookalike or, 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 or somebody to just appease her. So she, she brings Elisha to the house. He goes in the room. He paces back and forth. And he stretches himself out over the child. There, there's something about that that is significant as well. I believe it's something that all prophetic people should do. And that it's actually to take responsibility for what we say. And when things look opposite, we stretch ourselves out over that thing that looks dead and continue to speak life into it until it manifests the fruit of what the Lord said. And, and he lays and he puts his you know, hands on his hands, his forehead on his forehead, his lips on his lips. And, and, and he prays to the Lord. And, and, and all of a sudden the baby comes back to life. He, he, he sneezes, he coughs, they, they give him water. And he, he brings him back to the mama. And, 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 and they give him something to eat. And, and the miracle takes place and manifests. In that story, I think you'll find what I would call the the anatomy of a promise or the anatomy of a prophetic word. I think that really what she did, and I mentioned this phrase last night, is she prepared to accommodate. I think there's something that the Lord responds to in the heart of women is that most of y'all are preparers. I like to wing things. Like, if I'm going to Disney, I just want to go to Disney, and like, wherever I want to go, I want to go. My wife is like, no, you have to get there, you have to get fast passes, and we're going all over the place so we don't have to wait in line, and we actually get to do more because she's prepared for what makes sense to you. We had five kids, so it's, it's a small family compared to Minnesotans, um, but y'all's winters are colder. Right? So that fruitful multiply thing, you all take it very serious. And, and I do too. But, but none of you waited, and, and my wife and I didn't wait until we were on our way to the hospital to pick up a crib or a car seat or bottles or diapers weeks and months in advance. So on our fourth child, um, we had just built a house, and I was so excited I, in that house I was going to have an office. And I had it all planned out. Like I had the big screen TV, the recliner. 
I had the desk. I had my Chicago Cub pictures. Like, everything was planned. And, like, a month before we moved in the house, my wife told me she was pregnant. She goes, you know what this means? I said, yeah, you're going to have a baby. She goes, no, your office isn't going to be the office. It's going to be the baby's room. And I pleaded with her, like, okay, look, we got nine months here, so at least let me have the office for a few months. And, um, and she was like, all right, but after three months, we're changing it. So we set up the office, and I thought I could kind of persuade her, you know, like, She'd see how happy I am, right? She would come in, and she'd measure stuff, and she goes, can't you see it? We're going to put a little giraffe here. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's like 1989, you know, Cubs National League champion, Eastern, you know, Central Division champions. And, and she's like, we're going to put the crib here. I'm like, no, look at this desk. It's nice. It's actually antique cherrywood, 1800s. It was my great-grandfather. We're, we're keeping that there. And, and, and so I, I prolonged it. And, and now she's about seven months pregnant, and she says, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't get your stuff out of there, I'm going to get one of the guys you're discipling, and by the time you come home for your next trip, it's going to be gone. I didn't think that she or they would do that to me. But I came back home, and there was a giraffe, and a crib, and a rocking chair, because she was preparing to accommodate. She was preparing to accommodate for what was coming. Preparation belongs to me, but timing belongs to the Lord. I believe this, that, that the Lord has is releasing that grace upon us, that thing within us to prepare to accommodate. Secondly, I believe the Lord is, is releasing listening ears, ears that hear. He who has an ear, let them hear what the Spirit is saying. So you've got to prepare to accommodate. You, you've got to listen. You've got to hear what God is saying. I, I like what this woman did. She, she tested the word because after she tested the word, the word tested her. I think it's all a part of the problem. You, you could hear a prophetic word this morning and get really, really excited. But sometime between the word being given and the time it manifests, I promise you there'll be a season where all hell breaks loose. Because you're being tested by the promise. Immediately, the enemy comes to try to steal the word. He did it in the garden, and God really say that. He brings us through seasons and times where everything looks opposite before we see what, what, the fulfillment of what he said. Does that, that make sense to you? In... Hebrews 10.32, it says that after the, after the illumination, you enter into the fight of affliction. So after the word comes, after the revelation's released, there's a fight that takes place for you to grab a hold of that thing. And that's what happened in the life of this, of this woman. So I, I love do, doing what I do, but more than anything else in the world, I love being a dad. And uh, in the early 2000s, my ministry was just being birthed and taking off, and we had three kids. We had a, a daughter who's the oldest, and, and then we had Ben, and then we had Caleb. And uh, I'll never forget, my wife was pregnant with our, our fourth one, and um, I did something then that I would not do now. I was preaching on a Sunday night in our home church, and the Lord spoke to me about the baby that my wife was carrying, 
And I actually had my wife stand up in a Sunday night meeting, and I gave her this word. And how uh, the Lord gave me the, the baby's name. We're going to name her Raymond Joy because the word brings joy. Um, she was going to be uh, a praise and worship leader. She was going to dance, all of those things. And uh, I was excited about it. All of our friends heard it, you know, got recorded on the CD, all the whole thing. My wife wrote it down, put it in her Bible. And, um, and, and, and the pregnancy seemed like it was good. I was ministering up in the Northeast and had one more day in, in, in New York City of ministry. And about 2 o'clock in that morning, my uh, son Caleb, who was about two and a half, came into the bedroom, climbed up in the bed about early in the morning, and uh, said to my wife, um, you need to go to the doctor. The baby has a boo-boo. My, my wife said, oh, honey, you just had a bad dream. We just lay here with me and go to sleep. And he went back to sleep. She said she was fine at the time, but she wakes up about 6.30 in the morning, and she's hemorrhaging. She's about seven months pregnant. And uh, so she calls me. I cancel my day. I fly home. We go right to the, the doctor. We go into the ultrasound, and I could see the the baby there like we've always seen it um but i think the volume is down and i look at the text face and there's just kind of fear on her face or concern she gets another tech and same thing they get a nurse same thing and they get the doctor and he probes around and goes oh i'm so sorry uh your baby's dead i'm gonna let you think about it for a minute and i'll come back and tell you what we need to do and as soon as he said that it was like the devil himself jumped on my shoulder and said, now what are you going to do, you stupid, stupid prophet? Your whole church heard you, your friends heard you, your wife heard you. She wrote it down. What are you going to do now that your baby's dead? I moved into everything I knew to do. I laid my hands on her. I prophesied. I spoke in tongues. I prayed in English. I, I even tried Spanish maybe. I, you know, I was speaking life. And I had them check again, and nothing changed. The doctor said, oh, you're too far, far along to do our normal procedure. You're going to have to give birth to this dead baby. And I just remember just weeping, and I found it to be extremely unacceptable. I didn't know if God lied to me. I didn't know if there was a trick being played on me. And, and I, I remember um, finding myself running to the church. I just knew that we just had to go to the church. We went to the church. We went and plopped ourselves on the pastor's couch and told him what happened. And he tried to console us. And he said something about maybe this is the mercy of God. I didn't really want to hear that. And, 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 I'm, and I'm arguing with God. I'm arguing internally. I'm thinking that I'm all those things. And all of a sudden, it was like the Lord himself allowed my, my spirit to override my soul and my emotions. And I found myself screaming out, God, even if you slay me, still will I trust you. And I remember going that day, we, we composed ourselves, we went home, we told the kids that there wouldn't be a little sister, and Caleb, he was two and a half, he didn't fully understand, he cried, and Ben was a little older, he was about four and a half or five, and he said, Mommy and Daddy, you know, um, sometimes Jesus sends dead people back, like that lazy guy in the Bible, he, he, was, talk, he was talking about Lazarus, uh, and, and that was cute, and and all of a sudden, my daughter, who's about seven at the time, goes, Oh, Mommy, Davy, Jesus didn't lie to you. He didn't lie to you. I see her. I see her. The baby you won't get to hold, he's holding her. And uh, I see her. I see her. He's, Jesus is pushing her on golden swing sets. And she's there with all these other babies that died in their mommy's tummies. I see her. I see her. Jesus didn't lie to you. 
and she gets she doesn't grow up in Pensacola she grows up in heaven I see her I see her she's got she's dancing around the throne of God she's not a praise and worship leader on the earth she's a praise and worship in in heaven uh, Jesus didn't lie to you he didn't lie to you and I realized something that his ways are higher than my ways is I, I still didn't like it but something happened that that all of my investment of of of, of teaching in a Christian school and prophesying to kids. I was now in my deepest hour of need reaping what I'd sowed from my own daughter. We went through the, the process. It was painful for my wife physically and emotionally, for us emotionally. I would still tell you that was probably the hardest day of my life. And she was born with, with beautiful dark hair and perfect fingers and toes. And I knew what David said. When he lost his son, I will go to be with him, but he won't return to me. And I knew in that moment that I would see her again, but, but she wouldn't return to me. And it was brokenness. It was difficult. And Sunday came, and I, I took my family to church, and Molly couldn't go. She was still just not up to it. And, and it turned out to be baby dedication Sunday. And when I was home, I would prophesy over all the babies, and there were eight that day. All I can tell you is that I did my job. I, I prophesied one by one by one. Hearing what God was saying over these beautiful baby girls and baby boys, and, and my own heart was breaking. And I came off the platform that day, and we had a guest speaker. His name was Dwayne Allen, who is the nephew or great-nephew of the healing evangelist A.A. A. Allen. And he, I'll never forget it. He had this double-breasted suit on and kind of this goatee and and he shook me grabbed my shoulders and shook me and he said the lord wants to know what you want you want boys you want girls you want twins you want triplets and i just acted like i was driving through mcdonald's you know and i said i'll take two more boys i'll take a joshua and an isaac and i didn't tell my wife because whenever i mentioned it uh she was doing this and i don't know what that means but 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 i'm sure you know it's painful uh and don't tell me if you know what that means. It's, <laughs> um, and and I went to Columbia on a missions trip, and that's when she told me that she was pregnant with, with, with Josh, and that was the whole thing with the room. And Josh had a perfect pregnancy, uh, but every time we went to the ultrasound, you'd, ha you'd have to overcome the fear of seeing him there not hearing a heartbeat. And he was born on November 1st, 2005, and uh, everything was going great. Until she transitioned, she started to push, and all the alarms and bells and whistles went off, and doctors and nurses came running in, and they start screaming, we've lost the heartbeat, we've lost the heartbeat. And in that moment, I was thinking to myself two things. Number one, not this time. And number two, all I have in this moment is the word of the Lord. In that moment, all I had was what God said. And there will come times in this life where all you have is the word of the Lord. But if you have the word of the Lord, it's always enough. And he came out, the cord was wrapped around his neck three times, and he was, didn't breathe for five minutes. And I remember grabbing his toes and praying in tongues and, and speaking and prophesying. And after five minutes, he let out the loudest scream I ever heard. And I made a covenant with God. No matter how loud he got, I would never complain about it. And I regret that covenant. Um, he's still my loudest son, like, even today, during worship, I'm getting a text. Do you know where my polar bear sheets are? I said, 
no. He's like, well, now I'm going to have to wash the sheets I have, and that's going to take 20 times longer. And I don't know why you, that you wouldn't just put them right back where they belong the last time you washed them. I'm like, bro, first off, it's April. Second off, let's not say that you're 16 and have polar bear sheets. <laughs> but, but he was telling me why I didn't do what I should have done, although I didn't know I was supposed to do it and didn't even remember these, right? And I'm having to remember this moment, right, going, he's my loudest son. And I promised I would never complain about it. Lord, you're testing me, right? It's this amazing journey that the Lord brings us on. Test the word. The word will test you. But in due season, you'll reap if you faint not. I believe we've been in a really unusual season in the last two years where the world and the enemy would like to let us, get us to let go. Just let go of what we believe, let go of being together, let go of all of those things. And I've got a prophetic word for you. This is a season to hold on. It's a season to hold on to the promises of God. Somebody prayed it last night that all of the promises of God are yes and amen.